This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Hello out there in American Family Radio land. The show is called Because I Said So. I'm your host, John Rosemond renegade psychologist, author of about 16 books on raising children and family issues, the author of a nationally syndicated newspaper column that appears weekly in about 250 newspapers around the country and has been a nationally syndicated newspaper column longer than any other nationally syndicated newspaper column in America that has been written continuously by one author. I think George Will is right behind me. Kind of a feather in my cap, if I do say so myself. And I am, during the school year, a public speaker, crisscrossing the country, talking primarily in churches, Christian schools, but also in some secular environments. This is a ministry to me about this thing we now call parenting in America. And I started calling it parenting, by the way, as the result of the title of a book by a psychologist named Fitzhugh Dodson, published in 1970. The title was How to Parent. It was the first time, to my knowledge, that the noun parent was used as a verb, and since then, that usage has become normative in our culture. So, uh, I was thinking about parenting today, parenting, child-rearing, whatever you want to call it, bringing them up, and I was thinking about it today in regards to a question that I received from a father, it really wasn't a question, it was more of an anecdote that he related in front of a small group that I was conducting a couple of weeks ago in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And the anecdote that he related caused me to ponder that many of today's parents suffer or seem to suffer, and, and suffer they do albeit they seem to feel that their suffering is a sign of conscientious parenting, they suffer from what I call upside-down, inside-out, and backwards parent-view disorder. So first, an explanation of the term parent-view, which is a term I use quite often in front of audiences around the country. One's parent-view, what is that? Uh, Just as one's worldview We talk about one's worldview a lot in the Christian community. A, we talk about a Christian worldview. So just as one's worldview consists of beliefs concerning the meaning and purpose of human existence, as well as a set of core moral understandings, so one's parent view consists of beliefs concerning children. Uh, not only one's own children, but children in general, along with beliefs concerning one's roles, a role, 
and responsibilities as a parent. A proper parent view includes a correct understanding of children, which I believe can only be obtained from Scripture. It cannot be obtained vis-a-vis psychology, psychologists, psychological theory, etc., etc., all of that stuff, and folks take it from a psychologist, bona fide psychologist, licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board. Boy, do they regret the day they ever gave me a license. But take it from me, a psychological understanding of human beings, which has to begin with children, is not a correct understanding of human beings. So to continue, a proper parent view includes a correct understanding of children, in other words, a biblical understanding of children, as well as a correct definition of the noun, noun, parent. If those two understandings are present, a correct understanding of children and a correct understanding of the meaning of the noun parent, then that parent view will lead to correct parent behavior. In turn, proper parent behavior results in a relaxed, loving, and authoritative approach to children, which produces proper behavior on their part. So it's not the proper use of consequences that produces proper behavior in a child. It is a relaxed, loving, and authoritative approach to the child. And yes, I am very definitely asserting that the unproven and unscientific notion that persistent improper behavior on the part of a child reflects some malfunction internal to the child in question solely benefits mental health professionals and the pharmaceutical industry. This is how psychologists, clinical social workers, etc., etc., make their money when it comes to the so-called treatment of children. They persuade parents to believe that misbehavior on the part of a child indicates some internal malfunction, some neurological malfunction, chemical malfunction, etc., etc. Upside down, inside out, and backwards parent view disorder manifests in various ways, all of which reflect general confusion when it comes to the question, who's in charge here? So to the story of the father, whom I began this program with, This father recently told me that in response to a class assignment to draw one's daddy doing his favorite thing, his first grade daughter drew him taking a nap on the sofa. He assigned, the father assigned, great meaning to his daughter's art, taking it to mean that he is shirking in his fatherly duties, and he told me, that he does not want to be seen by his daughter as a slacker dad and resolved when he saw what she had drawn to take no more naps when she is around. Mind you now, this father's job is mentally and very often physically demanding. There are times, in fact, when it is dangerous to the point of being life-threatening, and 
This individual, this father, is responsible not only for his own well-being, he is responsible for other people's well-being as well. Nonetheless, this dad was visibly surprised when I told him that, A, I doubted that his daughter's drawing held significant psychological meaning. It was just something she drew. When asked by the teacher to draw something her daddy likes to do, for whatever reason, his taking a nap the day before popped into mind, and so she drew him taking a nap. No psychological meaning to that at all. No deep need, no need for deep analysis of the child's drawing. And B, and this is what really blew him away, that he had every right to take a nap whenever he felt the need, whether his daughter was around or not. And furthermore, I told him he had every right to tell his daughter that she was not to disturb him while he was napping. So that provoked a wide-eyed, really? Yes, really. This father was upside down, inside out, and turned around backwards concerning his relationship with his daughter. He obviously thought it was his responsibility to rise to his daughter's expectations. Now, you may have noted that I am suddenly using the past tense because I think I was able to get through to the guy. I think I was able to persuade him that he was uh, responding incorrectly to this drawing exercise, interpreting it incorrectly. And I didn't tell him so, but I think I was able to at least insinuate that he was suffering from upside-down, inside-out, and backwards parent-view disorder. No, it is his daughter's responsibility to rise to his expectations, assuming that they are reasonable, which they are, and which should include not disturbing him when he is napping. And the earlier she learns that it is her job to rise, this is what growing up is all about, folks. You rise to your parents' expectations. You rise, you grow up into conformity with their expectations the better for all concerned, including herself. The father's job requires that he be away from home a good deal of time through the year. And like many folks in that situation, dads and moms, he believed that when he came home, his first obligation was to his kids. Not so. And I told him so. I said, no, that's, that's not so. Your first obligation is not to your children. When you come home, I said, your foremost obligation is to your wife. You should re-enter your family as a husband first, a father second. Actually, I said to him, by putting your marriage first, you are doing for your children the very best thing you can possibly do for them because, And this is one of my mantras in front of my audiences around the country. There is nothing that puts a more solid foundation of security and well-being under a child's feet than the knowledge that his parents are in a committed relationship. Not perfect, committed. There's a difference. Children need parents who are right side up, right side out, and facing forward. In other words, they need parents who possess a proper parent view. In other words, they need parents who can give a proper answer to the question, 
Who's in charge here? Who's running this show? Anyway, I'm John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. You can hear me every Saturday afternoon, 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Central, all across America, on American Family Radio and American Family Radio exclusively. I'll be right back after this short break. Stay with me. back to the show again uh, it's called because i said so it's called because i said so because those four words are intimately associated with a traditional biblically based parenting point of view and and by the way if you're uh, skeptical that those four words are in fact reflective of a biblical point of view concerning the rearing of children let me remind you that at least twice in his epistles, St. Paul says to children, children, obey your parents in all things. He does not say obey your parents when they give you a good reason. Obey your parents when you feel like cooperating with them. Obey your parents if they have been nice to you that day. He says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord, period. And parental authority is an extension of God's authority over us. What we're doing, folks, and I'm going to use a new age term. I hope you can put it in its proper perspective. What proper parents are doing is they are channeling God's authority over us to their children. That's what discipline is all about, and that's how legitimate a parent's authority over a child is. God has assigned you authority over your children. You do not need to justify any instruction you give a child or any decision you make concerning a child's life. You do not need to justify no. The only justification you need to go to to give to know when the child asks why not is because I said so. You do not need to justify an instruction when you give an instruction to the child and the child says why. Your proper biblical answer is because I said so, not screamed, snarled, said in any sort of threatening manner, tone of voice. Simply calmly, because I said so. I have answered this question many times for you the same way before, child of mine. I don't understand why you keep wanting me to answer that question when it is obvious to me that you don't like my answer. So anyway, that's why the show is called Because I Said So. It's also called Because I Said So Because I Said So. How about them pancakes? If you feel like it and you want to find out more about me and my parenting ministry, to parents uh, both churched and unchurched, to believers and non-believers alike, uh, you can go to johnrosemond.com where you will find a bookstore. 
you will find, I believe, the last five of my newspaper columns, and um, you'll find my upcoming speaking schedule, which basically begins in early August, and I forget exactly where it begins, but it begins in early August, and it's pretty much nonstop through the month of uh, November. It's one of the I'm looking at one of the busiest uh, speaking seasons I've ever had. Busy, therefore exciting, and hopefully positively impactful. So anyway, it is inevitable that every single time I write a newspaper column or do a radio show concerning the subject of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and my feelings about that particular diagnosis, that people, parents, of children who have been diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder will uh, call my office, will write me emails, will write me letters complaining about my point of view. And uh, basically what they say is, you just don't understand, John. You just don't understand. You just don't understand how hard it is to live with a child who has attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And if you really and truly, in, in, in an up-close and personal way, understood what it's like to live with a child uh, who has this disorder, which is inherited from his father, of course, uh, and involves a biochemical imbalance and other things wrong in his brain, that he can't help, uh, you would not feel about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder the way that you feel. And so I just want to make it real clear that, uh, yeah, I do understand. Because uh, for 10 years, I lived with a child, our son, our first child, who exhibited all of the symptoms, all of the 18 symptoms listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual under the heading Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And he exhibited these symptoms to the max, to the max. Uh, he had, and I put that word in quotes, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, scale of 1 to 10, 10.5. And I know that living with a child who exhibits those behaviors persistently is extremely stressful. I know that it creates a lot of anxiety. I know that it creates a lot of self-doubt. I do understand. I do understand, and yet I want to point out that this you don't understand is really soap opera. And I hate to tell you folks that, that if you are inclined to say, because your child has or has been diagnosed with ADHD that other people just don't understand. Well, that's just soap opera is all it is. It's drama is all it is. I also came to realize at the end of that very stressful, trying 10-year period that ADHD, and this occurred, and I'll tell you why it occurred in a moment, it occurred like a lightning flash in my life that this child had nothing wrong with him, that the problem was me and, to a lesser degree, my wife, 
and that the uh, further problem was that we were trying to raise him according to the new psychological parenting prescription that had been foisted on America in the late 1960s. And we came to this realization because we were told by his third grade teacher halfway through the year that he shouldn't have been promoted to the third grade and he was not going to be promoted to the fourth. And this, this message from his, Eric's third grade teacher, midway through the year, January 1979, just, I mean, spun my head around. And Willie and I spent three days examining our 10 years of child rearing and came to the conclusion that we had purposefully determined not to raise our children the way we ourselves had been raised. And it was my wife who said, don't you think that if we had stayed with the tried and true, that we might not be having these problems today? And that just spun my head around. And, And right then and there, we decided that we were going to turn our family 180 degrees, turn our parenting 180 degrees. And we vowed to create a pre-1960s family in the way that we operated. And if you want to get the details, you can go to one of my books. It's called The New Six-Point Plan for Raising Happy, Healthy Children, or you can go to uh, A Family of Value, which is another of my books. Uh, your library probably has them. They're, they're big sellers still in the parenting field. And three months later, after being told that Eric was the worst behaved child she had ever seen in her 20 years of teaching, his argumentative, oppositional, wouldn't pay attention, wouldn't do what he was told, uh, fidgeted in his seat constantly, got out of his chair without permission, blurted things out in class without raising his hand, uh, wouldn't accept any responsibility for misbehavior. Three months later, mid-April, I don't know what you're doing, she said, but keep on doing it. I've never seen such a remarkable transformation in a child in a three-month period in my entire 20-year parenting career, uh, teaching career. No one would have been able to convince me that Eric was capable of the kind of transformation I've seen in him over the last three months. It's just been amazing. And if he stays on track, I will promote him to the fourth grade, which he did. What did we do? Uh, We sat down with Eric and we said, Eric, if you want to get to the fourth grade, uh, figure it out because we're never again going to help you with homework or answer any questions concerning homework or school. You're on your own. We are in the stands, kid, cheering for you. But we're not going to help you get over the finish line. That Those days are over. And mind you, when we told him this in January of 1970, he was reading a year and a half below grade level. We are no longer going to help you with homework. We are no longer going to ask you homework, uh, answer homework questions. We are no longer going to ask you, have you finished your homework? What was your homework? Let's see your homework. We're not going to check your homework. You're on your own. And three months later, he was basically across the finish line. And I realized from that personal experience that nearly everything that my profession was telling American parents about children, 
and behavior problems and how to correct behavior problems and nearly everything my profession was telling the American parent about how to discipline, how to raise children was completely 100% unequivocally across the board, no exceptions, bogus. And that is when I resolved in the early 1980s, late 1970s, early 1980s, to take up the banner that I've taken up and crusade to the degree that I'm capable of crusading for a restoration of traditional biblically-based parenting in America. Well, folks, our time is up. Uh, the show, uh, it always goes too fast for me. The show's called Because I Said So. Every Saturday afternoon, 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Central, you can do the math, exclusively on American Family Radio. God bless you all. God bless your families. Hope you are with me next week. Bye-bye.